Welcome, uh, if you're watching online, welcome to you all. Glad that you are here this morning. Uh, I am excited about what God has for us. Um, I do think it's going to be kind of a heavy message a little bit this morning, so, you know, brace yourself perhaps. I think there's going to be some introspection this morning, uh, but I think some really, uh, a lot of us are going to find freedom this morning uh, as we look into God's Word. Uh, I also want you to know that last week, many, many of you were concerned about the fish that I used for the illustration, and I want to let you know that Sir Swims a Lot is safe and sound. Uh, that's a picture of Sir Swims a Lot, and his new home is a middle school in Cincinnati, Ohio. So, for those of you that worried that he would be fed to the sharks, he's good. So, or she, Sir Swims a Lot is very good, or Ma'am Swims a Lot. So, hey, let's uh, pray together, shall we? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we look into your word. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would show us. Um, And God, as we do, I pray that your Holy Spirit would would speak to us, would bring to things the mind, bring to mind the things that we need uh, brought to mind that we would deal with and think about and recall. Um, And God, I just ask that you would do that this morning in a very, very personal way for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to take you back about seven years ago or so. Uh, Some of you know that I coached tennis at the University of Charleston. And so I was coaching a tennis match in Hilton Head, South Carolina, about seven years ago. And it was a match. It was a very close match. Uh, We each had won four matches. At that time, you had to win five matches in order to win the match. And so there's one match left being played. It's very tight, very close match. And, uh, and I'm sitting on the court watching the match. And in tennis, you know, kind of typically you kind of get to know the other coach a little bit. And so over the course of the match or before the match, you know, I'm sharing with the other coach what I'm doing and, you know, kind of what's your story. And so I share with him that I'm a pastor, right? And this comes in a little bit later in the story. So he knows that. But anyway, so I'm sitting there, I'm watching the match. It comes down to the very last, uh, the very end of the match. It's one set each. You have to win three sets. It's the third set. It's actually a tiebreaker for the third set. And so our guy comes in, hits the ball down the line, comes to the net, and the other guy hits a passing shot. And so our guy, my player, calls it out and wins the match. But the problem is that the other player thinks the ball is in, right? And so tennis is one of the few sports, collegiate sports, where there's not a referee present at all times kind of calling things and so forth. And so our guy calls it out. Their guy thinks it in. It, it, it comes down to what our guy says is, is the rule. Um, but the other coach is looking at me, thinking that I'm going to overrule my own player. And, and honestly, like I was sitting on a bench on this side of the court. It was way over on the other side of the court, and I, I didn't see it. And there's, you know, some hankering about. And that, you know, that's not the first time that's happened. Like it happens a fair amount. There's, you know, butting heads of coaches and players and what. I, I can deal with all that. Uh, but I'm like, I, I didn't see it. I couldn't tell you if it was in or out. I just didn't have the angle to see it. And they're getting madder and madder. And anyway, so here's what happens. That it ends up, they're just totally angry at our player, angry at me. They're mad that they lost the match. And the other coach says to me, and I was just sort of mildly like bothered at this point, but it went like from DEFCON 1 to DEFCON 5 when he says, I can't believe this. And you call yourself a pastor. I was like, smoke coming out of my ears. Like, I was so hacked off. And I was like, at that point, I'm just, 
I left in a stew and all that kind of thing. And, and it was one of those things, like, it wasn't like five minutes later I was good. It wasn't like an hour later I was good. It was like three days later I'm still, like, processing this in my mind. And I share this with you because it came to a point where I had to make a decision what I was going to do with this situation because it bothered me so much. And that's the same thing that we all face. And I'm going to put it on your outline. It's on the screen. It's this. Is are we going to have bitterness or are we going to have forgiveness? Because if we have forgiveness, that's going to lead to freedom, right? But if we have bitterness towards other people who have wronged us, offended us, what have you, then that's going to keep us in bondage. And so this morning, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're wrapping up this series titled Set Free, and we're talking about what does it mean to be set free. Specifically, what does it mean to be set free from unforgiveness and bitterness? Because that leaves us stuck in our sin. It leaves us stuck in our past. It leaves us in prison. We're talking about how do we break free from that unforgiveness of that bitterness. Now, if this morning is your first Sunday at River Ridge Church, uh, you're coming in at the end of a four-week series titled Set Free. Next week, uh, we're starting a new sermon series. It's called Seven Questions. I'm really excited for this sermon series um, because what it is is there were times, a lot of times when Jesus was asked questions, he answered questions, but there are also a few times where Jesus asked questions of other people. And so we're going to look at seven of those questions and see how do those people respond, but then also what does their response and Jesus' question say about us and our lives. So that's going to start next Sunday. But today we're wrapping up Set Free. And so if you missed the the first three weeks or this is your first Sunday in a while, um, basically we're talking about what does it mean to have freedom in Christ? And one one element of that is our identity. We have to know who we are in Christ and believe what God says about us. One of the things we said that first week is that even on my worst day, even on your worst day, you are who God says that you are. And then the second week we talked about having a right understanding of who God is. And if we have a a misperception, a misguided understanding of who God is, it messes with our ability to experience freedom in this world. And then last week we talked about the lies that we believe about ourselves, about God, but also the lies that we believe about freedom. And so if you miss those, I encourage you um, to pick those up online to watch those uh, or listen to those. And then uh, Laura mentioned a little bit ago that we're going to have a Freedom in Christ Life Group. That'll be a 10-week class. Um, and we're going to take the stuff that we've talked about and go deeper and kind of go with each other on that, but also add some things to that. We're going to talk about rebellion. Uh, we're going to talk about pride. We're talk about sexual sin. We're going to talk about something called generational sin and things that maybe our parents have passed down to us and how can we, we be aware of that. And then also, how do we change our thinking? So if this is of interest to you, I encourage you to be a part of that Freedom in Christ class that begins um, in about a week and a half. This morning, as we talk about forgiveness, as we talk about unforgiveness, as we talk about getting rid of bitterness, it can come, the wrongs that are done to us, the offenses that come to us, can be, come in a variety of forms, a variety of packages, if you will that in some cases, it may be that there's something that was done to you or something that happened to you when you were a child. And you're still dealing with that, and you're still bitter about that towards whoever it was that injured you or offended you. You know, it could be that you've got bitterness or unforgiveness or anger towards somebody who's close to you. You know, it could be a loved one. It could be somebody in your own 
family. It could be kind of that next layer out of, of a friend or a coworker or even acquaintance. You know, sometimes we can get angry and upset because of what somebody did to our own child, and we've got anger and resentment and bitterness towards that person. You know, the other offending person could be yourself. Because in, in conversations with people about forgiveness, I've frequently heard people say, I just can't forgive myself. And that's kind of a special circumstance, and we'll talk about that a little bit later this morning. You know, the other, and this is kind of a special circumstance, but it could be that we feel like we've been wronged by God. Now, I, God cannot sin against us, but it could be that there are times in your life where you're bitter towards God because God didn't come through in the way that you wanted him to or did something different. Um, and we'll get into that situation a little bit later as well. So here's some signs that you might have bitterness. You might be harboring some of that resentment in your heart. Uh, one is this, is that you rehearse something over and over in your mind. Like you keep replaying the situation, what was said and what wasn't said, and you keep rehearsing it in your mind. That's a sign of unforgiveness. Another sign is talking to people. You're trying to talk to a lot of people to get them on your side, to think the way that you think, to believe what you think about whatever the situation is. That's a sign of unforgiveness. Here's another one, is refusing to deal with it because you say or you think it's, it's the other person's problem, it's his problem, it's her problem, it's not my issue. If that's our, you know, then there may be unforgiveness there. And then the other one is, if we are constantly reviewing all the other things that were wronged or done to us by that person, if we're constantly reviewing the history, there's a sign that unforgiveness or bitterness is there. So in a few minutes, I'm going to give you four steps to forgiveness or four steps to kind of finding freedom. But before I do that, I want to ask this question of why. Why is it important to forgive other people. I'm going to give you three quick reasons. The first one is this, is that God commands it. God commands. We find this all different places throughout the Bible in Jesus' teaching. As part of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said this. Uh, he said, this is how you should pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. There was an assumption by Jesus that when we come to him and asking him for forgiveness, that we have already forgiven other people. Jesus expands on this a little bit as he's teaching the disciples. This is Mark chapter 11. It says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. If you hold anything against anyone, then forgive that person. Paul picks up on the same topic of forgiveness in a number of different places. One of those places in, in the book of Ephesians, as he's writing to the church in Ephesus. He says this. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander. Those are the things that we do. Those are, that's the way that we feel when somebody has wronged us. He says, put that away, be kind to one another, and forgive one another. Why? Because Christ forgave you. That takes us to the second reason to practice forgiveness, is because Christ has forgiven us. 
There's a parable uh, in Matthew chapter 18. You can jot down the verses here and read it on your own later. Uh, I'm just going to summarize it for you. But there's a, a, Jesus tells this parable. And the reason he tells the parable is because he's having a conversation with Peter. And Peter says, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? And, and Jesus responds, no, 77 times. Basically saying in an infinite number of times, there should be no end to your forgiveness of other people. And then he tells them this parable. He says that there was a king, and the king was collecting debts, right? And the king goes to one of his servants, and the servant owes him like a bazillion dollars. That's not the word it says in the Bible, but that's the basic translation for us. He owes him a bazillion dollars. And the servant says, I can't pay you, king. I don't have the money. I can't pay. Please don't put me in jail. So the king looks at the servant and says, I'm going to forgive you of your debt. So the servant says, thank you. He goes on his way. But then as he meets a friend of his, his friend owes him a couple of hundred bucks. Not a small amount, but certainly not a bazillion dollars. And he says, you need to pay me what you owe me. And that friend does the same thing to the servant that the servant did to the king. He says, would you forgive me? I, I don't have the money. Would you forgive me? And so the servant, instead of forgiving his friend, throws his servant in jail. Well, word gets back to the king that that's what the servant has done. And so he tells his men to go and arrest the servant and put him in jail to be taken care of by the jailers until he can repay the debt. And you look at that story and you say, why wouldn't the servant forgive his friend if he was forgiven this huge amount? And that's the point, that we look at this. And this is the story of us and God. That God has forgiven us of our sins of a bazillion dollars. God has forgiven us that we said to the God of the universe, I want to do my own thing. You say to do A, but I'm going to do not A. You say to do B, but I'm going to do not B. You said don't do C, but I'm going to do it anyway. And we have that pattern over and over in our lives. And yet God has forgiven us this huge debt of sinning against him. But yet we refused to forgive somebody else. That's what the parable explains. Now, at the end of the parable, it says this. At the end of the parable, the servant is thrown in jail. Now, can answer this out loud? The answer is kind of obvious. But if you're in jail, are you free? No, you're not, right? So the, the servant who, who was not forgiving of the other guy's debt was in jail. He was not free, right? This series is called Set Free. That part of us experience the free of us experiencing the freedom that God wants us to have is that we forgive others. Because when we don't forgive somebody else, we have put ourselves in this jail, in a sense. Matthew 18, 35, he concludes this way. Jesus says this. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. He says you will be in a jail of sorts if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. So the third reason that we forgive others is because it sets us free. You know, in that parable, it talks about the jailers, and some translations will say the torturers, that they're, the, the person is in jail, being tortured in jail, because when we don't forgive somebody else, it's we who are suffering the most. You know, if I, if I go back to that coach uh, from that team seven or eight years ago, whenever that was, 
Like, he's not thinking about that. He hasn't thought about that in years. But if I'm continually thinking about that, I'm the one who's growing bitter and bitter and bitter. I'm the one who is in captivity, not the one that I refuse to forgive. When we set somebody free from the debt that they owe us, from the sin that they've sinned against us, when we set them free, we're freeing ourselves. When we set them free, we're actually freeing ourselves. Somebody a little more clever than I talked about it and compared it to rat poison. said, unforgiveness is like eating rat poison and thinking it's going to kill the rat. Right? If I eat rat poison, that just kills me. It doesn't kill the rat. But that's what unforgiveness does. It slowly poisons us. So how do we do this? How do we go about practically forgiving other people? What does that look like? And again, I'm going to give you four things um, of what that looks like. But I want to take a quick side note and say, this is what forgiveness is not. First of all, forgiveness is not allowing the abuse to continue. Forgiveness does not mean that we put ourselves again and again and again and again into a situation where somebody rips us off or hurts us or punches us. Forgiveness is not waiting to be asked for forgiveness. Right? If we wait until the person says, we, you know, will you forgive me, it, 95% of the time, it never happens. People rarely will come to us because maybe they don't know, maybe they don't think it's a big deal, maybe they don't care, whatever it is. But if we think that we have to wait till somebody has asked us for forgiveness to forgive them, we're going to hold on to that bitterness for a long time. <clears throat> Here's the other thing, is forgiveness is not dismissing what the other person is as not a big deal. It's not saying, ah, it's not that big of a deal. I'll just forgive you. You may have been wronged, offended, hurt in a major way. And if you are, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Whatever is going through your mind. Forgiveness is not saying, ah, I'll just treat this thing as not a big deal. That's not what forgiveness is. You know, and the other thing is forgiveness when it comes to healing Forgiveness is not waiting until we feel healed and then we forgive. In a matter of fact, it's the opposite. That when we forgive, that is a step, or one of the first steps in the healing process that God wants us to have. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice that all of us can make no matter what the hurt that has been done to us. It's like the philosopher Yoda says, right? There is not try, there is do or do not. Mm-hmm. Yes? It's not try, it's do or do not. It is a decision that we make. And so we're going to see the steps to forgiveness in Second Timothy chapter 4. And uh, this is kind of an unusual place to find some really great nuggets of truth. And, and I say that because when you get to a lot of the letters in the New Testament, you get to the end, it's like, hey, greet this person, say hello to that person, bring me my cloak, take the scroll here. There's these kind of personal greetings and details. And this part is found in that personal greetings and details at the end of 2 Timothy in chapter 4. So I'm going to read the whole thing to you. It's about four verses. Uh, And then we're going to go back and we're going to see the four steps in this. It says this, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. 
may it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be proclaimed, fully proclaimed, and all Gentiles might hear it. So I, will, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so the situation is that Paul has been wronged by Alexander the coppersmith. And there's different, you know, and, and it's been wrong in some ways that we'll see in just a moment, but he, he's been wrong. So that's where it is for him expressing forgiveness. So we're going to give you four steps. The first step is this, is name the offender, right? And you don't have to put it on social media or anything like that, but just name the offender. Know who that is. Name the offender, right? And in a few moments, um, we're gonna, I'm going to actually give you some time, some kind of listening time to go through these steps and to recall, and part of what I'm going to have you do is to write down who are the people that you need to forgive who have offended you. Here's the second, is name the pain. Name the pain. If you look at what Paul does, he does exactly that. He names how Alexander wronged him. It says, he did me great harm. Verse 15 says, he strongly opposed our message. And then the sense is, is also that Alexander maybe stirred up some other people who also opposed Paul. So in verse 16, he says, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. He's naming the pain of what happened to him. This is how he felt because somebody wronged him. When we are caused pain by somebody else, the reason that we feel that pain is because they have taken something from us. And as part of the forgiveness process is what we want to do is, is identify what is it that that person has taken from us and then free them from having to repay that, so to speak. You know, for example, you know, somebody may have slandered your name, may have gossiped about you. What did they take from you? Well, they took your reputation, at least with those people that they were able to speak with. Or maybe someone has taken your livelihood. That there's something that happened in your job where you lost a job or you lost a client or you lost something because of how somebody wronged you. You say, well, what did they owe me? Right? Because as you look at how Jesus talks about forgiveness, you know, and in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those against trespass against us. But sometimes we say, forgive us our debtors as we have had our debts forgiven. So they owe us something. And so part of forgiveness is saying, you don't owe me that anymore. You know, maybe you went through a divorce and you thought you were signing up for happily ever after and your spouse abandoned you or wounded you or hurt you. And you say, well, what do they owe me? And it's helpful to state that. Say, they owe me what I want what I wanted, what I thought I was getting was a happily ever after life, was a lifetime companion. And so we name that pain, we name what is and what they owe us. You know, it could be that they took peace from us, that we were going along fine in life and then they did something that caused a storm in our lives. And we say, I deserve, I want that peace and they stole it from me, they took it from me because of what they did. And so we go, I'm naming the pain, I'm releasing them from that. I'm going to put up a slide here for you, and um, I'm going to put this slide up at the end as well, but the slide says this. It says, Lord, I choose to forgive, 
And then you put the name in there. Who is it that you are forgiving for? And then in that blank, you put what they did or what they failed to do. Because sometimes the wrong is not what somebody did, but it's what they didn't do. I was struggling and they didn't call. I went to the hospital and they didn't even acknowledge it. I went through this difficult time and they didn't say anything. Sometimes the wrong is what they didn't do. And then the last part is which made me feel, how did that experience, that painful memory, what did it make you feel? Well, what was the debt? What was the thing that they took from you? That takes us to the third step, which is this, is don't punish the offender. Don't punish the offender. If we look back in the chapter here, you look at what he says in verse 14. He says, the Lord will repay him, right? He says, I'm not going to take this into my own hands with Alexander. The Lord will repay him. I'm going to give this to the Lord. And then in verse 16 um, into 17, it says, may it not be charged against them. The end of of verse 16 says, may it not be charged against them. So in other words, he's saying, I am releasing this person. That I'm not going to hold the grudge against them. I'm not going to treat them angrily. They deserve to be treated one way, but I'm not going to treat them that way. I'm going to treat them as the Lord treats them. I'm going to be kind to them. Forgiveness is dealing with my pain and letting God take care of the offending person. Now, a couple of special situations that I mentioned earlier. What if the person who has wronged us is us? What if we're like, I just can't forgive myself? And and here's the thing about, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then God has forgiven you. In 1 John 1, 9, it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That he has forgiven you. And so if you are responding and saying, I just can't forgive myself, In essence, what you're doing is you're disagreeing with God. God says, I forgive you. If you're saying, but I can't forgive myself, you're disagreeing with God. And furthermore, just to make it even more clear, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, for your sins to be forgiven. And so if we say, I can't forgive myself, we're really saying, you know what? My sin is too big. The death of Jesus didn't really, literally wasn't big enough to cover my sin. And I hope that helps us to process that really forgiving ourselves is agreeing with God that we are, in fact, forgiving. You know, the other special case that I want to touch on just briefly is the question of forgiving God. And again, God doesn't wrong us to be very clear. We don't forgive God in that sense. But there are times when we have felt hurt by God. We've felt abandoned by God. We've felt wounded by God. And that's the way we have felt And we're not alone in that. This is what it says in Psalm 13, verse 1. Psalmist writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Right? And there are a lot of psalms that have that sort of like, God, where are you in this? I don't see you. I don't understand what's going on. Those are the words of someone who feels hurt and abandoned by God. What's the solution there? We don't forgive God. We, we forgive that We don't forgive God because there's nothing to be forgiven of. But here's what we do do is first is we express it. And there's great principle and, and practice of that in the Psalms of we express our hurt to God. 
But then the second is this, is that we have to admit that we don't understand all that God is doing. That we may feel like we've been hurt by God or wronged by God or he forgot about us. But the fact is, you look at the Psalm 13, how long will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? The psalmist writes it, but at the same time, we know, and he comes to the conclusion, I'm sure, that God doesn't actually forget about him. God knows what's going on. How long will you hide your face? God doesn't hide his face, but it's admitting that we don't understand all of what God is doing. Here's the fourth step. The fourth step is move forward in healing and freedom. Move forward in healing and freedom. And this comes from, again, from this uh, passage in 2 Timothy 4. It says this, uh, verse 17, it says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be proclaimed. And then in verse 18, it says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. You see, when we move forward in healing and freedom, we let go of punishing that other person. We say, I'm going to leave that to God. But when we understand that God leads us into this healing and into this freedom, we recognize, excuse me, we recognize that that idea that that, that person has taken something from me, right? That person has taken something, and that's why we're angry. They've taken my reputation, my time, whatever it is, they've taken this from me. But we recognize that God is the God of provision. That he, as it says here, he rescues us. So whatever was taken from me by that other person, God can replace that. God can give me what I need. There is a trust factor in forgiveness saying, I'm going to forgive that person and God's going to provide for what I need. And when we do that, when we set that other person free, we are the ones who are freed. So we're going to close, and I'm going to give you a few minutes in the presence of God. And I want to give you a little bit of a structure for this time. If you look at your notes, um, there's a blank spot at the bottom. And I wrote down, I kind of gave you a sample here. I want you to make three columns, okay? And in those columns, on the left-hand column, I want you to write the word who. Who is it that has wronged you, okay, that you want to forgive? And then the middle column is what? What did they do or what did they fail to do? And then the third column, you're going to write how. How did it make you feel? What was the debt that was owed to you? And so as you do that, um, and again, you can write messy handwriting or encode or whatever if somebody's sitting next to you, uh, but this is just an opportunity for you to be quiet before the Lord. And I'll give you probably three or four minutes just to do that. That may not be enough time, but I just want you to be quiet before the Lord and walk through these steps. And we'll put that, um, that kind of sentence back up there to help to guide your time as well.